for us as a as a local church body to be praying in regard to leadership of the church and the structure of the church that we may be found faithful in doing what the word of God is asking us to do and in talking about uh, praying for brother Kenny as uh, uh, the Lord is directing him uh, to a call of being an elder and uh, to pray for uh, brother Brian uh, as, as a call to a deacon and as a prayer for the body is there more and to, for individuals to be praying is there more is is the lord calling perhaps others into areas of ministry uh, that that we might recognize them before the lord and before the congregation and and lift them up in prayer and and know that these are those that the lord the holy spirit has lifted up and and called into areas of service uh, that that as a congregation we might know and uh, to go to them and to seek counsel to to be praying for them in the midst of uh, taking care of this local body of believers. And today's message that I'm going to bring to you is Alistair Begg. And uh, a sermon that, that some of us have heard in regard to uh, the, the setting for this is they were getting ready to uh, affirm some elders in their church, uh, Parkside uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, I believe is where his church is at. And and I heard it and I was like, it, it was a sermon to me and I shared it with some and, and they said, oh, we need to share that on Sunday morning so that all might listen. And so I know this is a little different. Uh, I don't know if I've ever done this, and uh, but I'm going to say I'm going to listen just like you of, of what the Lord has to say through Brother Alistair. I, 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 I've shared many times that he's he's probably the one I listen to the most. Uh, if I'm going to listen to a, another preacher, uh, perhaps he is the one I go to, at least for right now. That's where the Lord has me. But I'm just going to sit down. We're going to listen after this sermon gets done. I'm not going to preach another sermon, but I do have some uh, verses I, I want to read uh, after this sermon. So let's play Brother Alistair. Can I invite you to turn with me to Exodus and to chapter 18? Exodus chapter 18. And I'm going to read from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. In this chapter, the father-in-law of Moses is giving him counsel. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, "'What is this that you're doing for the people?' Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. 
You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you, you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Amen. Having turned to the Old Testament, I invite you now to turn to the New and to First Peter and chapter 5. And I'm going to read from there just the first five verses, First Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. So I exalt the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Father, we pray for your help, the help of the Holy Spirit, as we think along these lines now. Uh, we come to you in our weakness, and uh, we pray that we might find you uh, to be more than all we need. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the discerning among you will have already concluded that we are taking a brief pause from Ephesians chapter 6. That is correct. Uh, this is not an arbitrary decision. It is actually uh, quite purposeful. But let me begin in this way. Last Sunday morning when I arrived in Dublin and picked up a rental car, I had decided that I wanted to go to church there, and I wanted to go to a particular church there, which I eventually found. But it wasn't easy uh, because my ability to navigate the city was severely impaired by the presence of another clergyman. Uh, that other clergyman being none other than the Pope, uh, regarded by some as the vicar of Christ on earth. And that caused me to ponder as I was driving. And I began to think 
about the fact that uh, this particular Sunday, in preparation for our meeting next Sunday evening in the affirming of elders in the church, with these things juxtaposed in my mind, I find myself saying, how in the world is it that um, people are able to get from the clear instruction of the New Testament to a hierarchical construction like the Roman Catholic Church, where eventually power uh, devolves from the virtual sole authority of an individual. It made me think about how easy it is when God's people begin to exalt human wisdom above the Word of God, how easily and how quickly things can go wrong. John Murray, who has now gone on to heaven uh, when professor at Westminster Seminary, he made a very telling statement in relationship to these things when he was talking about the way in which the Bible teaches the importance of a shared leadership in the church and why it was so important that that would be maintained in the church. And he then said, it is no wonder that when men fail to adhere to the clear instruction of Scripture, how then by logical steps it results in what on all accounts is the greatest travesty witnessed in the history of Christendom, namely the pretensions and blasphemy of the papacy. That's a quite striking statement. But you are sensible people, and you have a Bible, I hope, on your lap. And therefore you have every reason to read the Scriptures and to assess both the times and the way in which history has unfolded. That is not to say, for example, that this is a peculiar responsibility within the realm of Roman Catholicism. The fact is that Protestantism, to a lesser degree, is equally prone to the same kind of arrogance and the same kind of tyranny which exalts individuals to places that they should never be. And you may have been in churches like that, and may uh, we be saved from ever becoming a church like that because there is a certain predisposition in the heart of man to arrive at that conclusion. Now, as I say, we're going to tackle this very briefly this morning and selectively in light of what awaits us as a church, because uh, there is nothing actually more important than the question of the leadership of a church. And no church can assume that it will safely make the transition from one generation to the next, unless it takes peculiar care in making sure that those who are set apart to those responsibilities are marked not simply by the characteristics described in the New Testament, but by their understanding of Christian doctrine and the place afforded to them. Because church history makes it clear that the church of Jesus Christ does not and will not progress beyond the spiritual progress of its leaders. It won't make any progress beyond the spiritual progress of its leaders. And that's why the New Testament places a very high value on leadership itself. Why, for example, when Paul writes to Timothy in his first letter, he says, now here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer or being an elder, he desires a noble task. Desires a noble task. 
And when you read your Bible, you realize that the story of the New Testament is the story of how the good news of the gospel penetrated the communities of the time as a result of the preaching of the apostles. And as the apostles preached, people were converted. They became the followers of Jesus. And having begun, become the followers of Jesus, they gathered in fellowship with one another. And as they gathered in fellowship with one another and began to read initially the Old Testament scriptures and to ask how they were going to function in going forward, the apostles, both by their practice and by precept, made it perfectly clear that leadership was absolutely vital. So you read again and again uh, in the Acts how Luke is saying, you know, Paul and Silas or Paul and Barnabas went to such and such a place, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they came back around again in order to appoint elders in the church. And these people were under God entrusted with the privilege and the responsibility of making sure that God's word was applied, that God's son was honored, and that God's people were edified. Now, when we read here in 1 Peter chapter 5, we were at the end of Peter's letter, a letter that he had written to the scattered believers of his day, those he refers to as the elect exiles of the dispersion in all of these places. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. You can still take a map, an atlas, and look at it and find these places, albeit with a new and more contemporary name. And what had happened was that they, as I say, had understood themselves in an entirely different way. Whereas previously they may have identified themselves particularly by dint of their uh, background, their ethnicity, uh, their, um, their abilities, uh, their, um, their tasks in life, and so on. Because that's the way people get together, isn't it? By and large, the people who like to do CrossFit go to CrossFit. The people who don't, don't. Uh, the people who like to visit the library and sit around deep into the afternoon pondering things are a special group as well. But this is not what is happening in the Christian community, because in the Christian community, you find some of these library people and some of these CrossFit people. How in the world did they bump into one another? Well, it wasn't at the library, and it wasn't in the gym. Where was it? Well, it was actually at the communion table. Oh, the communion table. You mean the sort of place where community is really expressed? Yes, exactly. And they bumped into each other. They were doing something very, very strange. They were all sitting together in a group and listening to a monologue. But that doesn't happen hardly anywhere in the entire Western world. Even when, they, when you have the president trying to do one, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's punctuated by applause all the time. This, there's no applause. And even if you do, you get in trouble. So why would you? <laughs> but think about the group. Look who's sitting here. What is this? Well, Peter tells us, First Peter 2, 9. He says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see, he's using all these Old Testament pictures as relates to the people of God. And he's doing in his letter what Paul is doing elsewhere. He's magnifying the wonder of the fact that in Jesus, God has taken two, if you like, and made one new man out of the two. And it is in that context that they find themselves 
whether they are among the educated group or the less educated, whether they have come from the same ethnic background, they find themselves singing the same songs, singing the psalms together, submitting to the scriptures together, and looking to the Lord together. Now, it is in that context and in that community that the principles of church leadership are then worked out. And when we ask the question and find the answer in the Bible, how is the church to function, then we can be in absolutely no doubt. The pattern throughout Acts is that uh, men and women were converted, churches were established, and elders were appointed. And that's why here uh, we read First Peter chapter 5, I exhort the elders among you. He says, I'm really a fellow elder as well, and uh, here's, here's what I have to say to you. Now, in this section, he's not dealing with the qualifications of the elders. He's dealing, if you like, with the administration of eldership. You can read the qualifications in First Timothy 3 and elsewhere. That is not my brief this morning. I want to give you just four words concerning this leadership. Here they are. We want to think of it in terms of being pastoral, accountable, plural, and spiritual. And I'm going to move swiftly through each one of them. It is, first of all, ministry that is clearly and obviously pastoral. You will notice here uh, in the opening couple of verses of First Peter 5 what uh, I can point out to you uh, from the strength of my Greek New Testament. And that is that in his terminology here, Peter is using words interchangeably to establish the nature of this pastoral leadership. So, for example, when the first time you see the word elders there, that in Greek is presbyteroi, which gives to us our English word presbyter or presbyterian. It is a word which expresses largely the notion of spiritual maturity. That spiritual maturity may not necessarily be akin to the age of the individual, because clearly it is possible to have grown old and yet to be relatively immature. It is also possible to be young and to have advanced greatly under God. So there it is, the issue of maturity. Then, in exhorting them to shepherd the flock of God, the verb that is used there is a routine verb for that whole notion. And it speaks, if you like, to the peculiar responsibility of what's going on. In other words, if you use that word shepherd or pastor— it quickly takes it away from, from the realm simply of administration or of being able to bring to bear a certain um, giftedness that may be part and parcel of an individual's everyday work life. With that or without it, the role is to shepherd the flock. And then thirdly, to exercise oversight, as you will see, exercising oversight. And that word there is episkopoi, uh, which gives to us, as you would identify, episcopal. And so it is that uh, when we use these various words, we're actually speaking about the exercise of the same office, if you like. And what you find in First Peter, you also find in the writer uh, of the Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, remember those leaders. And then he says, what they did was they spoke the word of God to you. What do the elders do? They speak the word of God to you. Oh, no, but that, isn't that the pastor? Well, the pastor is just one of the elders. 
All the elders should be able to speak the Word of God to you. That doesn't mean they speak it from here, but it means if you address them, they will be able to turn to the Scriptures with you and being apt to teach. They spoke the Word of God to you. And by speaking the Word of God to you, they gave you leadership. So if you're like, uh, here's the deal. They are there both to feed you and to lead you. Further down in the passage, he says that you should be aware of the fact that they keep watch over your souls. So they exist to feed you and to lead you, to watch you and to warn you. That's what they're supposed to be doing, keeping watch over your souls. And as Peter has said here, the manner in which this is to take place is both challenging and at the same time helpful. They're to exercise this oversight. Notice three nods and then a but. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It's very important, isn't it? Because he's already said that whoever desires the office of an overseer, Paul has at least, desires a noble task. But then you have to say, well, why would I like to be an elder? Why would I be prepared to allow somebody to entrust me with this privilege? I need to check myself against these areas at least. Is it because I I want to uh, just domineer, dominate? Do I think there's a way that I can use this as a sort of uh, mechanism for, for gain? Am I actually willing to do this? Now, all those questions are very important questions because the leadership is pastoral, but secondly, it is accountable. It is accountable. You see, the elder who takes this calling seriously lives under the constant pressure of knowing, as Peter says here, that the chief shepherd, verse 4, is going to appear. There will be an unfading crown of glory. Okay, well, that's very encouraging. That's something to anticipate. But when he appears, we will give an account. They keep watch over your souls as men who give an account. Now, we all give an account to one another. There's a mutual accountability that exists within the body of Christ. But this is talking about something different. You see, what the New Testament is teaching is not some form of democracy, certainly not of autocracy, such as in a hierarchical structure, but is teaching theocracy. In other words, that God mediates his rule through the singularity of his Son, who is the chief shepherd, by the Holy Spirit, by means of the Bible, so that the people of God are tutored under the Word of God. They are led by the Word of God. They are committed to the Word of God. They realize the importance of the Word of God. That is why we do what we do. Why is it that we, that we continue to work through the Bible again and again? How long are you going to keep doing this? Forever and ever. For as long as we have breath. Why? Because the future of the church depends upon it. And the absence of the leading and feeding of the people of God by those who've been set apart to the task is obvious to see, and tragically so. That's why Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4, when he's thinking along these lines, he says quite helpfully, we should really be regarded simply as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. 
And remember, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful, not necessarily successful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court, in fact. I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. That doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So when you see, when the, when the, the, the scriptures say that they keep watch over you as many must give an account, he's not talking here about an account to you, whether you like the sermon, you thought it was too long, too short, whether you like the personality of the elder, whether you like the way the baptism happened, whether, or anything like that. That's fine. We can have all those conversations and more beside. No, it's something far more significant. You think all of the words spoken from the pulpit, you will give an account. Every private counsel, you will give an account. Every time you jested with the Bible, instead of being serious, you will give an account. Every time you presented to someone what you would not live by yourself, you will give an account. And who will give an account? Those to whom is entrusted the leadership. Loved ones, do you understand what we're doing? when we set apart people to the leadership positions in our church. It is not only pastoral and accountable, but it is plural. It is plural. I'm going to have to leave you to work much of this out for yourself. You can go and find it. It's not difficult to find. But the chief shepherd, namely Jesus, appoints under-shepherds to lead his flock— by the crook of his word. So it's his flock, and it is his word that is the crook by which we both correct and exhort and encourage and so on. And because this doesn't fall to an individual, but it falls to a group, it's important to realize that the requirements are shared requirements. There's not a distinction of standard for one who does something and the other one where you don't really have to know. The requirements are shared, the privileges are shared, and the responsibilities are shared. But that is not the same as saying that everybody in a local church eldership is equally gifted, because that's clearly not the case. We know that if you took any group of people out of the congregation just as, as a random sampling— you would find there is diversity among them. So the sense of equality that is enjoyed under God, the sense of equality and mutuality that is part of a shared responsibility, does not set apart the diversity in gifting. So that when we say that the elders are on a par with one another, that we would never consider them in isolation from one another, we're not saying that they can all do everything because they can't. None of us can do everything. That's why team is so important. But when we read the Bible, and when we read the Gospels, we realize that there are always leaders among leaders. You take, you take 11 boys and put them, put them all together with a, with a soccer ball and uh, leave them for a while, they will choose a captain. They will choose a captain. They will become a parent. And so Jesus called 12. But then we know Peter, James, and John. They were the ones on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And so when we think in terms of plurality of leadership, we need to recognize, too, that there is a distinction in function, a distinction, actually, which the New Testament itself pays attention to. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And then here's the distinction, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, now, if you take our eldership at the church, not everybody labors in, in preaching and teaching. Some of us do, but I think uh, equally most don't. The distinction, then, does not elevate the person's stature before God or even actually before the congregation. Now, those of us who do might like to think that's the case, but no, I don't think we can say that from the New Testament. And it's very, very important because there is a peculiar temptation that is involved in being entrusted with the privilege of doing the preponderance of the teaching from the Bible. It's a, it's, it's a devastating thing, but it also is a very opportunistic thing. What then will protect the person who has the balance of the Bible uh, at his fingertips and on his lips from becoming an arrogant, tyrannical, domineering, autocratic rascal? Well, you say, well, the, Mrs. Mrs. Jenkins, she can handle that. She did it before with a previous minister. No, she will not be sufficient for this. The, the, the thing, the corrective is built in, into the eldership itself, so that it is the responsibility and privilege of the elders together to make sure that none of us ends up in that position. So that although somebody may be able to lead with a kind of persuasive zeal, those individuals at the same time need to be obviously subject to their fellow elders. Because their fellow elders are equally responsible to God to whom they will give an account. And part of what they will give an account for is making sure that none of their number, whoever they might be, ends up in that domineering position. So it's pastoral, it's accountable, it's plural. And finally, and obviously, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. It's always spiritual. Why, is it, why, why do so few people pray? Well, it's a spiritual issue. Why is the singing rather poor? Well, it's a spiritual issue. Why are the numbers diminishing? Well, it's a spiritual issue. Why, why does there seem to be a lack of interest in X or Y? It's, a spirit, it's always a spiritual issue. You see, this is not an organization. We're not trying to put a club together here. This is the church for which Jesus has shed his own blood. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in a particular location. And what then is the responsibility and role of the congregation? Well, again, Hebrews helps us. What are we to do? Well, we are to love the leaders who spoke the word of God. We are to consider the outcome of their way of life, and we are to imitate their faith. Wonderfully helpful, isn't it? In other words, how is this thing working out for them that they're telling us all about? Is it making a difference in their life? If it's not making a difference in their life, then we can't be sure that they're really telling us the Word of God. And what should we imitate? Their personality or whatever? No, 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 we should imitate their faith. The, the, the fact that when difficulty and darkness comes, when danger overwhelms us, when we lose loved ones, when we ourselves are 
struck by this and by that. Where, where are these characters? Are they telling us again that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever? Well, yes, they are. Then I want to remember them. I want to consider them. And I want, further down in the chapter, to obey them and submit to them. Why? Because I really like them. No, because they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. This takes us all the way back, actually, to our studies in Ephesians 5 and 6. Because remember, when we studied that and we said, now, wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. The culture in which we declare that doesn't simply recoil from it. It advances against it. So when you have people who become members of your church who are not prepared to live within the framework of God's appointing within family life, and then you put them within the context of church life, and they don't understand the principle of submission in their home, what chance do you have of them understanding the principle of submission in the church? And that's why sometimes people, especially ladies, are very disappointed when they come here. And early on they ask, and I want to be an elder of this church. And we say, sorry, you can't be an elder of the church. Why? Because only men are to be in leadership in the church. And then we have this big, long discussion about it, which comes down to the matter of the Bible itself. They say, well, Jesus never said that. That was Paul. He said, yes, Paul wrote the New Testament under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so it goes. So this idea of submission is difficult, but it is clear. It doesn't overturn the mutual submission that is to be part and parcel of our relationships with each other. And the writer to Hebrews is not urging some kind of mindless obedience. That's the way it's often portrayed. Well, I'm not just going to take my brain out and listen to that. No, 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 no. He's already said in verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. In other words, keep your brain on. Keep thinking. Keep taking, keep taking your Bible to church. Keep reading your Bible in the life group. Keep making sure that the leadership of the church is exercising the rule, which is the sole rule of the singular rule of Christ, reign of Christ, by the Holy Spirit, through the Bible. That this is not a personality issue. This is not a peculiar idea. No, the submission that is called for to, is to the rule that is exercised in the name of Jesus, by the direction of Jesus, and by the rule of his word. And if and when leadership in the church departs from those biblical guidelines, then it is due neither obedience or submission. It is for this reason that the leaders are identified as those who taught the Word of God to you. Newton, in the 18th century, says to his congregation in the morning, I count it my honor and happiness that I preach to a free people who have the Bible in their hands. To your Bibles I appeal, I entreat, I charge you to receive nothing upon my Word any further than I can prove it from the Word of God and bring every preacher and every sermon that you hear to the same standard. Structure alone 
is like a body without breath in it. That is why the spiritual application of these biblical principles is foundational. Having just come from the other side of the ocean and seeing how easily and how quickly traditions within even what were good local churches can become the basis of a, of a form of fossilization. I want to say to you again that if you care about Parkside Church, not today, if you care about Parkside Church, should the Lord not return 10, 20, 30 years from now, understand something. The election to the Supreme Court of the United States of America is nothing in comparison to the election of local leadership in a church so that generations yet unborn will be nurtured, led, fed, watched, warned as a result of decisions made in a moment in time now that have longevity in history and in actually are eternal in their significance. We say with the hymn writer, O breath of life, come sweeping through us, revive your church with life and power. O breath of life, come cleanse, renew us, and fit your church to meet this hour. To him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Be to the only wise God, majesty, dominion, and power, now and forever. Amen. If you've never heard uh, Brother Alistair speak, and you've heard me talk about him, I hope now you understand why I appreciate his ministry and... and uh, listen to him as he expounds on the Word of God. And uh, it gives a, a good understanding, I hope, of eldership. And I said earlier uh, to be praying, you know, as Brother Kenny is, is uh, seeking the Lord and uh, calling to the eldership and be praying for him and and uh, I just want to say this as well, because Dusty and I both were recognized as elders years ago, and we both want to, uh, I don't know the word to say, resubmit ourselves, to present ourselves again to this body, because I don't know if any, I don't know if any of y'all were here even back then, and so we want you praying for us as well, as long with, with Brother Kenny and, and any others that may feel Im, impressed of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that, that draws uh, into, I believe, into uh, positions of leadership. And, and so we want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And so we want you praying uh, not only for Kenny, but for myself and for Dusty uh, along those lines uh, so that we as this body could affirm what the Lord 
would have for us. And and I liked what uh, Brother Alistair said in pointing out that you know elders are elders and and they're equal uh, before the Lord in giving an account. And within a body of elders, there is distinctions of of talents and things. And and I know I stand up here a lot, but that does not elevate me above the other elders. And 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 I hope you know that. And I hope that I always remember that. And uh, so I think that's why this is very important. Uh, and it was important that I came across this sermon to preach to me and to point those things out. And so uh, just be praying along those lines. Uh, we're, we're just trying to be obedient to the Holy Spirit as He's He's bringing us along on this. Uh, I think there may be a couple sermons coming from me along these lines, and uh, we'll, we'll just see what is coming. And I do want to do this. I, I do want to go to the book of Titus today and the book of First Timothy. So let's go, and we're all I'm wanting to do today, I'm not going to preach another sermon. Uh, I just want us to read uh, from this portion of Scripture in Titus uh, 1 through 9. Because I, I told some others, I went back in some old sermon notes. I preached through the book of Titus in uh, 2008, so it's 12 years ago. And and I think I counted, and from verse 1 to verse 9, I think I preached eight sermons. And it's talking about elders, bishops, pastors, uh, the, the whatever word you want to put on it. And so here, let, let's just read... Uh, from Titus 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested His word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking. Now we'll pause there just for a minute. There were several things that were lacking within this church. And I want you to notice what was the first thing. What's the first thing to be addressed? In all of the things that were lacking, what's the first thing? I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, now here's... If you want to say qualifications, now listen. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dispensation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. And, and there you can say, okay, there's the things you, you, you don't want to see. You don't want to see these things. And someone who would be your elder. But now here in verse 8, the things you want to see. But hospitable, 
a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So there you have within those verses these things you do not want to see. If you see these things, then what's that mean? And here's a list of things you want to see. And if you don't see these things, what does that mean? Let's go to 1 Timothy 3rd chapter. 1 Timothy 3rd chapter. 1 Timothy 3rd chapter, verses 1 through 7. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, and again, bishop, elder, pastor, we're talking uh, the, the same role here. He desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. You're going to hear a lot of the same things. Blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So again, talking of qualifications of elder, a, a bishop, a pastor, and then perhaps we'll be talking about more along that in the uh, weeks to come. Uh, let, let's continue uh, verse 8, because we've talked of deacons. Uh, and, and this, and here Paul in 1 Timothy 3, verses uh, 8 through 13, speaks in regard to deacons. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, not greedy for money. I'm switching between versions, aren't I? Let me read from up there. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let those also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And again, it's I'm not going to take away from what we heard from Brother Alistair today, but just wanted to read those things, and you could go back and reread. If you have any questions, be sure to ask, and perhaps, as I said, in the weeks to come, we'll be addressing more of that. And at some point... Uh, we're, we're going to be asking uh, for an affirmation from the church and ever we haven't really determined what that's going to look like. And so 
we, we know what people have done, but biblically, what will that look like? And so uh, just be praying about that as we would affirm elders, as we would affirm deacons. And so uh, we, we just ask you to be praying uh, along those lines. So Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment in, in, in what we've been talking about in uh, affirming leadership of this local body of believers. And it's we pray, Father, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, that, that there would be no doubt, Father, of, of, of who the men are that should be in the leadership position of this local congregation. So help us to be discerning. Help us to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Father, that, that this church may may be all that it is called to be and that we would be equipped and prepared for that which is coming. So again, Lord, we look to you. We, we trust you and your word. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.